Uh, today, we are continuing a series uh, called Living Well as we explore the book of Proverbs. And when I was a kid, um, the book of Proverbs was kind of a, a go-to book of the Bible for me. Uh, it was where I always uh, found myself uh, just uh, flipping through my Bible, and, and I'd maybe read a little bit of Psalms, didn't really get much of Leviticus or Ecclesiastes, and Jeremiah was like, what's going on there? And, and, but I'd go to Proverbs, and I, I could get it as a kid. I mean, the Bible was incredibly daunting, and it still is for, for a lot of our, our children and teenagers. It, it, it takes a lot to fully dig into and, and understand and comprehend. There's wonderful stories that are exciting to hear, but the, the meanings sometimes are, are tough to con- comprehend. Or there's beautiful imagery that, that, uh, and metaphors that sometimes we don't fully are able to grasp, especially uh, younger minds. And so Proverbs was something that was so easy for me to grasp because it was just the wisdom of a father to a son. Uh, just, it wasn't about rules and regulations. It was just about a man who had seen life, had lived it, had been through victory and defeat, love and heartbreak, joy and sorrow, and wanted the best for the people who came to follow him. But for me, Proverbs changed as I got older. Now instead of uh, bite-sized instructions for an unexperienced mind, instead I was left with basically a list of things that I was doing poorly. <laughs> and if, it, if I wasn't looking at it as a list of things I was doing poorly, I found myself looking at it as a list of things that people were doing poorly. <laughs> And so it was either um, a, a time of conviction or a time of pride when I approached Proverbs. And, and I feel like that's certainly the wrong way to go about it because how we need to approach Proverbs is that uh, of, of a child receiving instruction from a parent, which can happen in two ways. One is to rebel against the instruction and only see the, the condemnation and conviction. Only see, oh, look at all the things you're telling me that I'm doing wrong. Or we can look at Proverbs as an opportunity for, for correction and guidance. And so my prayer for all of you and myself this morning as we look through um, many of the Proverbs is that we would just feel God leading our hearts towards correction, not be overwhelmed by, uh, by oppressive shame or anything like that. That shame is from the enemy. We have freedom from that. Know that, that we would take that correction and we'd follow it. And today we, um, we are approaching a, a proverb or a set of proverbs that is very difficult but also so important for our lives. And that is proverbs that cover the subject of our mouths, the words we use. In the first service, somebody literally said, uh-oh. Like, I heard that in the back. I'm like, yes, sir, I feel that way too. Um, it, it can feel very overwhelming when we start to talk about the trouble our mouths get us into. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote about the dangers of the tongue in James chapter 3. He said this, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on, hell, uh, set on fire by hell. That's some pretty serious words about the destructive nature of our mouths. 
My wife and I have entered a new phase of parenting with our son, and I was really hoping that our 14-month-old boy would hold off on this a little bit, but he has started the full-blown, the mimicry phase. This is awesome, and I'm being sarcastic in that. Um, It's really exciting. My my son doesn't have many words in his vocabulary. He can say dada, uh, which I'm very proud of. He can say mama. He says baba, which means buddy, our dog. Um, it's not really a word, but we just say, okay, good enough. He says, Appa, which he's saying, Papa, which is uh, his, his granddad, Maddie's dad, and he hasn't figured out all the other grandparent names, but he'll get there. He says a couple other things. He looks at lights and says, la? Well, that's close enough, son. You're, you're doing really good. So we can't repeat the words we're saying, but he repeats the inflection of the words we say, and that's where it gets really scary. At first, it was cute. At first, it was adorable. Like, I love you all. Like, oh, yeah, this is great. I, I love this part. And then we found um, something happens when we start to uh, discipline our dog. When we look at Buddy's, like, Buddy, get down from there. Buddy, get. Buddy, go outside. And we see Walt in the corner of the room, like, bah, 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 bah. <laughs> oh, no. Like, no, 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 son. Look at the good things we do, not the bad things we do. Look at our happy words, not our like angry words. Don't, don't copy that, but there's no stopping it. It was going to happen no matter what. This whole mimicry phase is this, this mirror in our face of how powerful our words are. He copies our tone. He copies our gestures and our body language. Such a small fire sets a forest ablaze. So we need to be careful with the words we say. I love this, this verse out of Proverbs, and I really feel like I could say this and just walk off the stage. Um, Proverbs 18.6, a fool's lips walk into a fight. His mouth invites a beating. <laughs> wow. How bold of a statement is mouth invites a beating. Some of us are going, yeah, I know that mouth. <laughs> Some of us are going, yeah, that's my mouth. I don't know about you, my mouth has invited many a beating that I deserve. It is clear what the writer is saying here. There's no two ways around it. Our words bring destruction. Our words can bring such great destruction, but our mouths are still a gift from God. I think we could easily take a look at Proverbs, um, and, and we're going to today, but we can spend so much time talking about the destruction and mayhem and discourse that our words can bring to the world. I mean, we know for a fact that the, the phrase, sticks and stones, that doesn't mean a thing. So I don't know about you, but I would rather have broken bones than words that cut wounds so deep they last years. Oh, that, that's just something we tell tell children to help them brush off the harmful words of their peers. I could talk all day about avoiding crude joking, which Ephesians 5 says is out of place among believers in Christ. We could talk about avoiding gossip and lies. Proverbs 16, 28, a dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. I could tell us to avoid hate-filled speech or cursing or, or false flattery. I could talk about all these things, but what good would it be to talk about all the evil our, our words can do without expressing our need to replace it with life-giving words that come from Jesus Christ? 
without realizing that we can use our voices to be a blessing to others and a gift to this world. Again, we, we see the destructive nature of our words every day. Just turn on the news, you see it. Open up uh, social media, you see destructive words. We can do horrible things with the things we say, but we can also do wonders. Think about this, we say it all the time, that God can hear our hearts. If, if our words were only meant for glorifying God, why would God give us voices at all? Because if he can hear our hearts, we could just think praises to God. No need to muddle up everything with us tripping up our mouths and saying things that offend people. If we were just made mute, we could worship God in our hearts and, and, and only focus on that. But the reason God gave us a voice was not just to glorify him, but to see his goodness made true in this world. To see his goodness go forth. He wants to use us to be a gift to this world. A gracious gift of blessing from our Heavenly Father to others. James 3.10 says, From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. And he's so right. There's two sides to it. We, we bless others and we curse others. We need to rid ourselves of, of the hateful speech and begin loving one another with how we speak not for our own benefit, but for the glory of our Father in heaven. Matthew 5, 14, Jesus shares that we are the light of the world. He says, you're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people put a lamp under a, uh, a basket, but they put it on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We are being reminded by this verse that God has set us apart. He wants us to shine in this world. City on, the, on a hill, something set apart that you see and you say, that is what I want to go towards. So attractiveness. So much of that comes with our words. So for the remainder of our time together today, I want us to focus on how we make our words a wellspring of life in this world. How we make our words a gift to others. So here's the first thing. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. We need to be actively aware of the difference between wise and foolish words. And I say actively aware because it's something that takes time to think about. We need to pursue these thoughts and, and realize what our words are doing. Proverbs 14.1 says, The wisest woman builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. Then verse 3 says, By the mouth of a fool comes a rod for his back, but the lips of the wise will preserve them. We see in this verse the benefit of wisdom, how it establishes confident, strong things. And, and, and the words uh, of someone who is wise preserves that person. And if you, know, if you think about the person in your life who you, you see as the most wise person you know, you want to hear them talk to you. Like, you want those words in your life. You want to spend time around them. You, you soak in all of that wisdom, and you don't leave the conversation exhausted. You leave filled. That's what it's like to be around somebody who practices wise speech, who builds their house. 
well. Not by lies and deceit, but with care in how they speak. But the verse also shows how foolish acts can quickly pull down a person. As it says, folly with your own hands tears it down. We know that even the, the wisest or, or the, the most uh, person of highest leadership can be torn down by just the words they say. A lie they say, deceitfulness that they present can tear everything down. It can cause us to lose trust in them. Because the, the mouth of the fool brings a rod to his back. When you're foolish with your speech, speech, you invite destruction. And so that's how we see foolish words. A lot of times we're not going to see foolish words ahead of when we say them, unfortunately. Not without practice, not without without seeing the destructive nature of, of those words. Foolish words are shown in the wake of destruction they leave, in the lives they hurt, in the events they cause. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. This phrase, harsh word, literally means a word of pain. It's something that you say knowing that it is going to bring a flurry of anger and spurs of hatred. So how do we navigate in a world that it seems like no matter what we say, somebody's going to be offended and angered by it? How do we do that? Because that's the world we live in. I know you've felt it if I've felt it. Like I, I feel like I can't say anything at times because somebody's going to be upset. How do we navigate that carefully? So the first thing is, before we say something, to ask ourselves, um, is somebody going to be angered by this? Yes. <laughs> I mean, that's just the, the flat-out answer. Someone's probably going to be upset. So the second question we need to ask is, is that anger justified? Well, now that's a different question, isn't it? Because somebody who doesn't know truth is going to be angered by truth they don't understand. That's, that's bound to happen. But we, what we also need to avoid is the pride that can fill our hearts by saying, I know truth, thus I can say whatever I want. Because that's incredibly dangerous. A soft answer turns away wrath, but it's the harsh word that stirs up anger. And when we hear that, sometimes we think, yeah, my harsh words are going to make my opponents angry, but we forget it's not just about stirring up anger in our opponents, people we see as enemies. A harsh word also stirs up anger in our, the people on our side, the people we care about. For example, um, my wife and I, we can find ourselves in conversations that um, I will say something uh, in an angry or harsh tone um, about some sort of situation. And she might jump in and get upset as well. And all of a sudden we've escalated and we're both really riled up and upset about something that's so insignificant. Perfect example. The roundabouts on Harmon Road. Right? Yeah. Grumbles. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Those darn things get me every time. There can be no traffic and I still find myself talking about how annoying drivers are there. I do that. And so Maddie and I will be driving in the car and Walt's in the back, which this whole mimicry thing, I'm, at some point he's going to be cursing roundabouts. I'm like, no! Um, 
But I'll be like, don't people know what yield means? And Maddie's like, oh, the other day this happened. I'm like, oh, the other day this happened. This person, this one like, jumped over the rocks and stuff like that. And so we just start getting so upset about something so silly. And we're just like, we're talking about like traffic features. Is that worth our heart? We realize that our harsh words stir up anger with those that are on our side. And why this is so dangerous is because those who we care about and care about us want to be on our side. And they want to trust our words. And they want to repeat our words. One thing being a student pastor is I can tell which uh, parents are very passionate about politics because they have the teenagers that are very passionate about politics. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with being passionate about politics and having um, a, a heart uh, for, for making sure that wise leaders are put, put in place in our world. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is, do you know your kids say exactly what you're saying? I, I had a student uh, in the student, student ministry come up to me and was talking about a political figure and called him a snake. And I was like, teenagers don't say Snake. Like, I don't know any kid who's playing football saying, oh, you snake, huh? Like, no one does that. That's just not in their vocabulary. I'm like, that's your parents talking. I hear it. I can see that. We have to know that when people care about us and love us, they take our words to heart. And it may not be your fault it's what happens in their hearts, but we need to be careful not to allow our brothers and sisters in Christ to stumble based on our words. The words we say may cause brief anger in our, our hearts that we can easily brush away, but in somebody else's hearts, maybe it is a seed of hatred that becomes resentment that they hold on to far beyond your brushed off statement. So, if we see foolishness based on the destruction it leaves, how do we recognize wise speech? Proverbs 15.2 says this, The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth of, the, of fools pour out folly. Wise words commend knowledge. And we've heard the phrase, the pursuit of knowledge. And, and we need to have a pursuit of knowledge and knowing things if we are going to speak wisely. Because without knowledge, we uh, are welcoming ignorance. And so we need to be knowledgeable of things, uh, even such as science and culture and society. But most importantly, we need to have knowledge of who God is and what he's done. And this, this is what uh, I mean. It says in Proverbs 15, 7, it says, The lips of the wise spread knowledge, not so the hearts of, of fools. Wise words do more than just recognize and celebrate knowledge and truth, but it spreads it, talks about it. There's conversation that takes place. There's a pursuit of knowledge. I'm so passionate about parents making sure they're aware of what's going on in the culture of teenagers. And one of the things, and a lot of teenagers disagree with me on this, and that's fine. Teenagers disagree with me on a lot of things. But uh, I'm really passionate about um, what apps they use on their phone. Because parents place this tool in their hands to communicate with the wor world that can be such a dangerous tool if misused. And so, yes, while a herd of students walking down the street is pr are probably chasing fictional animals... 
There are other apps that are, are less as uh, fun and less uh, carefree and, and have a lot more concern behind them. One that I talk openly about um, is uh, Snapchat, incredibly popular uh, app among teenagers, super popular, and I can see why. You take pictures of friends, you send them pictures throughout the day, and these these pictures, you can put crazy filters on them, you have a lot of fun, and, and see all these things, and, and just um, share your, your, the story of your day uh, with, with friends. But the very nature of that app is to take pictures that you know are going to disappear. The logo's a ghost, um, say, saying that these, these images are going to disappear, they're not going to be anywhere anymore, you don't have to worry about them. And you can see how dangerous that is in the hands of uh, temptation. You see how, how one thought of, well, so I can send a picture without you know, anybody being able to keep that? I can just let you see it? Really dangerous. Even more dangerous is that the, um, the organization that owns Snapchat, the owners of Snapchat have said that, um, that the pictures are actually stored. Now, they don't go away. They're stored on their servers. And they say that eventually they'll delete them, but they don't say how often they will delete them or anything like that. And so if they got bought out by another company, that other company could say, well, I just feel like releasing these publicly. We're going to change the model of Snapchat. And then all these pictures are taken without any care for who might see them outside of just a small group of friends could be released to the world. Now, is that the worst case scenario? Yeah. But that knowledge of what that app does and what that application um, is behind and the principles behind and the security behind that changes how we approach things. And so knowledge breeds wise speech. Our knowledge of things allow us to not just say, yeah, that's fine, but to say, you know what, have you carefully thought about this? When we know things, we're able to speak wisely on them. In Colossians 1.9, the prayer that Paul offers for the Colossian church. He says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The knowledge of his will. So along with the pursuit of knowledge of the things of this world, we need to pursue the knowledge of God, ha having uh, an understanding of his will and having a passion for his word. My dad is, is brilliant. He's incredibly smart. Um, he tried out for, um, for Jeopardy and got on the waiting list. He just wasn't called that year. He keeps trying. Like, he, he could do it. I sit and watch Jeopardy with him. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? Like, how are you this smart on all these things? He remembers things. Um, but he especially remember, remembers things that he's passionate about. And one thing he is incredibly passionate about is sports. I can't remember the last time I had a conversation with my dad that sports wasn't brought up in, in some brief way. Like, uh, he, he even ends conversations. Like I, I might call him and say, hey, dad, how you doing today? Oh, good, yeah. Hey, hey, before, before you go, uh, how about that game? You know, it's just, it's just, he can't help it. He's passionate about sports. So several years ago, before I was married and I was living at home, I was cleaning some stuff up and I came across a box of, uh, of baseball and football cards and, and basketball cards, just trading cards. And I had an idea. Took this big box full of you know, just decades of different players. I said, I'm going to take one. I said, Dad, I'm going to read you the stats. I'm only going to give you the stats in the year. 
And I want to see if you can guess the player. And if you need a hint, I'll only give you one hint. And that hint will either be the team they played for or the position they played. You can choose one. And he's like, all right. What was really fascinating was how many times he got it without taking the hint. And so I would do something like this. I'd say, okay, Dad, in 1955, this player played 154 games. He had 596 at-bats, 98 runs, 176 hits, 29 doubles, 9 triples, 44 home runs, 170 RBIs, and he hit 295. Is that uh, Ernie Banks played for the Cubs? Stop it, Dad! Like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, how'd you know that? He's like, well, I like the Cubs. And so I go one after another, I just read off down these lines of stats, and he'd tell me who they were, one after another. I was amazed. And even the times he took the hint, I was still amazed. I'm like, how big are these teams? And you were able to remember the rosters from teams that you didn't even care for in decades. You weren't even alive. Like, what? how are you doing this? And then I'd get to one, and I'm like, ah, I finally stumped him. I'd be like, yeah, you didn't get that one. He'd be like, oh, yeah, that guy broke his leg. You know, he only played six months of the season. Why would you even know that? Like, how are you doing this? Listen, when you're passionate about something, it overflows in the things you say and the things you're able to share with people. And here's, here's the deal. As believers in Christ, we need, we need to be passionate about the Word of God. We need to dig into His Word and know Him. The... the the thing we have been offered to know God is his word. So we need to consume it. <laughs> Let it consume us. When we're passionate about God's word, and obedient to God's word, it will guide us and direct us. And the things we say will be filled with the wisdom that we find within it. We won't be able to help but talk about who God is and what he's done. Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. This is what Jesus was quoting when he said, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. If we're pursuing the knowledge of God and we're obedient to him, wisdom of our words will follow. That leads us to our next point. How do we continue to make our words a gift to others? We have to have a voice that promotes the gospel of Jesus the good news of Jesus. Proverbs 10, 20 through 21 says this, the tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. This verse directly expresses how our words are a blessing to others. How our words are more than just something for our own personal benefit. But it says a, a righteous man's words, they feed many. Feed many. Specifically, this, this is a mark of a righteous person. The Bible has a lot to say about humanity's righteousness. In Romans 3, it says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we've already charged that, uh, for we've already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. We are all under sin. And because of sin, we are unrighteous. 
Interesting that when he starts, begins listing the indicators of unrighteousness, he begins with the mouth. Saying that their tongues deceive, there's venom on their lips, their mouth is full of curses. The words we say are an indicator of our righteousness. But we can praise God that he sent his son. We can praise God that he didn't leave us in this state of unrighteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, for, the sake, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus was sent by God to, to live, teach, and die on the cross. He died as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. And by believing in him and, and, and surrendering our life to him, we are clothed with the righteousness of God. We are adopted into a family and the Father of Heaven places His robes upon us and says, you now have my righteousness. How incredibly beautiful. Incredibly beautiful. And it changes how we need to see our words because our words are now not promoting our righteousness. We have none of that promoting God's righteousness that has been placed upon us. So, the words of the righteous are choice silver, and they feed many. So what does it mean? What is the purpose of having a voice that promotes the gospel? Uh, two quick things there. One is the most obvious, uh, and that's we, we promote the gospel for the salvation of others to see people come to know Jesus. Again, in Romans, this time in 10, 14 through 17, it says this, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. But they have not obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Listen, our voices are God's plan to reach this world for Jesus. Our words are the primary plan. Yes, God has miraculously appeared. We, we see that Jesus miraculously appeared to Paul, and there are all these different stories. And yes, God can do that divine intervention, come and see salvation happen that, that way. But let me put it this way. Which leader um, did greater things? The leader who accomplishes all his goals on his own or the leader that led millions to accomplish the goal? God is leading us, using us for his glory. He welcomes us to be a part of this journey. Taking the broken and the unrighteous, clothing them with righteousness and saying, you are more than just welcomed in a family. You now have a purpose too. And that purpose is to see people come to know Jesus. We carry that burden. But it's also a gift. In a world that so many wonder, why am I here? Jesus says, this is why you're here. You're here to tell others about me. So for the salvation of others, that's 
how our voices promote the gospel, but another purpose is for the encouragement of others. Our words can lift others up. This is important for both those who don't know Jesus and those who do. Again, as I reminded earlier, Jesus called us to be light of the world, a city on a hill. Our words should be welcome refreshment to this world. In a world that words are so much about self-gratification and what you can get, our words should be those that people long to hear. Proverbs 16, 24 says, Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Health to the body. I think we've felt this before. If, you're, if you've experienced this, where you're having an incredibly rough day, incredibly down, and then somebody who doesn't even know the situations you're going through just offers encouragement, kind words. And what that does to change the traje- trajectory of your day to refocus and give you energy to finish. That is the power of words. And that's not to say that the words that we use are necessary for our self-esteem or anything like that. No, but God uses the words of other people to be an encouragement in this world. God uses you to be an encouragement to others. And so in the midst even in the midst of disagreements and differing opinions, with tact and with a joy for the Lord, we can continue to love others and provide this gracious, these gracious words to a world that so desperately needs them. But there's a requirement if we're going to encourage with wisdom. And this is found in Proverbs 25, 11. He says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. I love that. Fitly spoken. Meaning that this word that you give needs to be suited for its occasion. There's a biblical commentary author that wrote this. It is not enough to say the right thing. We must be able to size up the situation and say the right thing at the right time. This is how using wisdom in our speech can be such a great blessing to those who are struggling. When people give encouragement at an inappropriate time, it means one of two things. One, they're oblivious to social context. Or two, probably want something out of someone. It's false flattery. So some examples. Example one would be if I was walking uh, my dog and me and my wife were at the park and she's pushing the stroller and we're just having a good conversation, and I just look over at her and go, your teeth look exceptionally clean today. What? <laughs> like, that seems like in- inappropriate encouragement. That's, that's something your dentist says to you. Like, I don't know, like, why you're encouraging me. And so, so inappropriate encouragement, encouragement at a time that's unnecessary is confusing, sometimes offensive. Like, what, what are you saying? My teeth aren't, like, normally clean? Like, what What are you saying? And so obviously this is a ridiculous example, but if we place it in the understanding of of different social situations, somebody who's going through a time of grief or loss, can I be completely honest with you? I I am that guy who who tries to be funny in awkward moments. That is me. I'm sorry. Confession right now. I'm I'm the one who tries to, to drop jokes to lighten the mood. Sometimes the mood doesn't need to be lightened. At an appropriate time for our words. 
It's an appropriate time for our encouragement. And so we need to be careful about that and not be oblivious to social context. And again, that comes with knowledge and understanding. The second thing, example I'd give you is um, the other side of this kind of false encouragement, which would be, um, you know, so example, you're lounging on the couch, watching TV, and your son or daughter walks in and says, my, you look good today. What do you want? Right? Like that's, that's exactly kind of what you'd think in the back of your head. Like, what do you, what do you want? What's, what did you do? Like, what, what happened here? Now, that, that false flattery is not only unhelpful, but it's potentially damaging. It's dangerous. To just toss out flattery to get your way. No, we need to have words that are fitly spoken, carefully spoken. And while Proverbs discusses many more ways that our words can be a blessing, and many more ways that our words can be a destruction, I just want to focus on one more point for today. And that's this, the last way our words can be a gift is knowing when to be silent. Knowing when to be silent. In our social media culture, this is a tough one. Because with all these different platforms that are out there, there's a wide range of opportunity to share our voice, and a lot of people grasp at that attempt to fill the void with bold statements, with unfounded statements, wanting to express anything and everything with boldness, and the protective feeling of isolation that's behind um, a, a computer screen only increases brash and abrasive comments. And the feeling is the only way to be heard in this world is to be shocking. Oh, what wisdom there is in silence. What wisdom there is in thinking carefully about what should be said or what should be left unsaid. Proverbs 17, 27, going into chapter 18, says this, Whoever restrains his word has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Listen to this. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Clearly this problem existed well before the internet. Silence is hard. Silence is painful. It's deafening. In uh, an advertising class that I took in college, our teacher said this, said dead air is a surefire way for someone to get fired in the entertainment industry. So if, if you're watching a TV show and the TV goes blank for about 20 seconds, she said someone just got fired. So if you're listening to the radio and the, the airwaves go dead for 10 seconds, someone just got fired. Someone loses their job because of silence. I thought, wow, that's crazy, but it makes sense because if I'm listening to the radio and all of a sudden there's nothing, I got you know, five other buttons here to press until I find something I like. And then I thought, how sad is that? How sad is it that 10 seconds of silence ushers me to find more noise? 
that we can't exist without something playing. I'm one of those people who has to go to sleep with white noise. Anybody with me? Fan going, you know, sound machine going. Yeah, my people. There you go. Um, I, and there's so many times where I forget to turn the fan on and I go to bed and all I do is feel uncomfortable and uneasy. Hear footsteps that aren't there. I hear rustling outside, the darn possums. I hear all those different noises that are there. I hear my dog snoring and, and all these different things uncomfortable. But isn't it amazing that in this silence is when so often our thoughts become most clear? In silence, when everything's quiet, we're alone with our thoughts, we give time to think things through clearly, process things. For me, the idea of be still and know that I'm God is so important for my walk with Christ because in silence, I just let Christ speak to my heart. Let the Holy Spirit guide me. And so, so many times we want to quickly give answers. Proverbs 18.13 says, If one gives answers before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Proverbs 15.28 says, The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Listen, in, in the world today, we want so desperately to fill the void with answers. There are so many questions. I don't know why this world is so broken with people who decide to do horrible things. And so often we want to fill that void with answers. And, and sometimes it's not even the big issues that our world's dealing with, but it's brokenness in our friends' lives that we want to fill and try to fix. Not the brokenness in the world, maybe a brokenness in a friend's marriage. Uh, my problem, one of my problems is I, I like to fix things. I, I like to be a fixer with my words. I want to say things that are going to put things together. You have a problem? Okay, plan, plan, let's go, let's go. Step one, let's do this. Step two, let's do this. Step three, talk to them about this. And then if they say this, do this. If they say this, do this. What God is teaching me candidly is that God's teaching me to shut up sometimes. God's teaching me to be patient with my words. Not give an answer before it's due. I was talking to a, a friend of mine the other day who was dealing with some difficult family issues and we were just discussing it. I felt that urge within me to say, okay, here's what you do. Here's what you do. Have you tried this? Here's what you do. But God stilled my heart. By his grace, he stilled my heart. And he just said, said Kyle, you can't fix this. It's too big. Don't, don't try to fix it. And so I just sat there quietly offering kind words of, of, I'm sorry, it's rough, I'm sorry. And then as we were ending our conversation, I just said, I don't, I don't have the words to fix this. I know it does. And we need to go to him in prayer. We need to get our face before God for your family. See, one of my issues 
I want to speak before God speaks. I want to beat him to it. But instead of immediately offering unfounded suggestions in unwise and potentially destructive ways, why don't we consider the wisdom of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who calls himself Jehovah Rapha, God who heals? Why don't we consider that the creator of all things can surely redeem all things for his glory? Why is it that so often, how dare I, speaking to myself here, how dare I think that my words are of any significance without the wisdom of the God who created my mouth? We talk so much about words today, but it would be a shame if we didn't also remember that there's strength in our silence. Proverbs 13.3, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Some things I want to encourage you to do today as we close. One, you have people in your life who need encouragement who need a loving word, gracious word, that's a gift to their lives. Offer that encouragement. Care for them. Some of you have friends and family in your life that that encouragement needs to be the gospel truth of Jesus Christ. They need to hear about who Jesus is and what he has done to rescue them so that the, the robes of righteousness can be placed on their shoulders. Secondly, maybe you've hurt somebody with your words. Maybe there's somebody who has been cut deep by something you've said recently, maybe years ago. It's time to ask forgiveness, to go to them. And in this act of repentance, it becomes crucial for your training in your heart to discern what is wise and unwise and how you speak to avoid foolish and destructive talk in the future. And lastly, I'd encourage you to practice silence this week. Not just in the way of going off into a room and being quiet, but in just pausing and thinking carefully before you say something. Taking the time to honor God by respecting His wishes and the words you have to say. Maybe that means taking time away from social media. Maybe it means um, seeking knowledge of God's will so that the words you say are, are interlaced with the, the truth of who Jesus is when time comes to say them. So as we close today, I, I think we just need to pray in silence. You know, pray silently, and I'm going to give you a few moments to pray on your own, quietly, in your hearts, listening to his voice, and then I'll close us in prayer. But as we do pray, I ask you to pray um, that God would give you wisdom to use your words as a gift to others, to re reveal opportunities to serve him through the way you use your words. Let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, we praise you for sending your son to die on the cross for our sin. We thank you that because of his sacrifice, we are seen as righteous in your eyes. Because you've clothed us with your righteousness, Father. Oh God, forgive us of the destruction that we cause with our mouths. Our words that seek to glorify ourselves and not you. And forgive us, God, of the words that seek to injure others so that we can feel like we have a better ground to stand on. But God, we know you are our true foundation. God, you gave us mouths to speak and to sing praises to you and to offer goodness to others. We thank you for your grace that overflows and that you desire us to bring your gospel to the nations. God, continue to give us wisdom and guidance through your Holy Spirit. We need you, God, because without you, our words mean nothing. May we consider you first and foremost and pursue you. We love you, God. It's in your name we pray. Amen.